you feel it, you know it. D. Raw Productions. Connoisseurs, don't forget to seek, listen, and learn to be a sports connoisseur just like me. And I got my co-host with me today, Charles. Let him know what's up. What's going on, H Town? I'm back at it again, and you know things ain't gonna change. We're gonna dig right off into the good stuff. Yeah, good stuff and bad stuff. That Jacksonville Jaguars game was a, a tongue twister. It was a lot of BS. Uh starting with the refs, man. They just they tore us apart. I, I think we was competing against the rest more than anybody. The Zebras just had us all the way. Man, listen, if you want to just go there, that's the obvious. But uh, I did see the game from a little bit of a different perspective, but I did include that. And, and the Houston Texans, you know, I knew they weren't a complete Super Bowl caliber team or anything like that. Uh, but there are a couple of things we need to clean up before we can even talk about being playoff contenders. Well, no, I agree. Uh, the refs did play a major part in it to me, but I did see it from different perspectives. Honestly, to be honest, it was just a game full of bad officiating on both sides because the Texans got away with stuff, and so did the Jaguars. It just happened that the things that the Jaguars was getting away with was more costly to our team at the time where it held us you know, down on that one drive they was making, and, and it allowed them to chew up the clock when we really needed it. And it allowed them to put scores, you know, points on the board, and, and, and that's the biggest thing. Like, the penalties they called against the Jags, they didn't really help us sustain a drive or actually score, you know, complete a drive. The penalties that they called for them on the opposite, you know, it did exactly that. Yeah. Um, it put a touchdown up for them and uh, it, it sustained drive so that they could, you know, ultimately win the game. Yeah. Well, just looking at the first quarter, Jacksonville, they had kicked the field goal, so it was 3-0 in the first quarter. At that point, was you did you have any concern about the game? Did you feel like uh, the Jags might win this one just from the first quarter? Uh, Yeah and no. And let me take that back. Not yes and no. Yes but not because of the Jags. I felt like not only in this game, but if you go back and look at the last three to four games by the Texans, we've come out to a slow start in the first quarter every game, and that that has to stop. In order to win in this league, you got to come out, jump on somebody, hit them in the mouth, and, 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 and stay aggressive. Uh, we kind of fixed that a little bit with you know the slow play calling or whatever, mm. but – now it's kind of, you know, kind of we've regressed in that department because you can't come out and start trying to score towards the end of the first half every game. You got to put up points early and often. Yeah. And what you're saying makes a lot of sense because before this game had started, I think we talked about it last week. We was like the Texans got to figure out a way to just close out games, stop playing the close game, uh, the games where, where you're about to have a heart attack. You don't want to see it, you know. They got to figure out how to just kind of put some teams away. Every week, this was going to be what, the, the third or fourth game in, you know, this season that we watched straight where the Texans, we didn't know if they was going to win or they was going to lose. You know, they win by a field goal or, or something like that. Uh, 
They they got to do better, bro. Just closing out games and, and then also you, but you, you also but, but you look at it though. It, it it makes for good watching. It makes for good commentary like what we do. All of the other shows like Undisputed, Shannon Show. For CJ Stroud, this rookie, I mean, it's it's a great narrative to follow. Mm-hmm. And this, like I say, playing this hero ball where he has the ball has to be in his hands the last couple of minutes of each game, and he has to come back and somehow save the franchise and lead us to another victory. I mean, if that's the way it's got to be, then it, it got to be. It is what it is. But you would hope to see us growing as a team to whereby we start putting away teams early and often. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's going to have to change because you can't always just depend on C.J. Stroud to, to win the game in those kind of, you know, situations because that's what that's why we lost the game. And it wasn't because of C.J. more or less. It was because of the, the O-line. The O-line played terrible in that game. Also, C.J. did hold the ball a little too long in that game. I think um, as a rookie, I think he, he, he has to figure out a way to, like, overcome always like you said trying to play hero ball sometimes he got to play within the system and take what's available if that's the check down to uh to pierce or singletary or or to the tight end whoever may be open whoever may be the the check down on that play then i think that's what he got to take some time and then just slowly work his way until you know he can look for the big target downfield because that was one of the things that cj stroud Complained about that Jacksonville took away their deep threats. Yeah, but still, and again, though, it's it's a gift and a curse, right? It's a gift and a curse that I can live with, uh, especially with with C.J. Stroud and what he brings to the table. That's one of his strengths. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of running around, buying time, extending plays, and, and and trying to make something big happen. I can live with that. What I can't live with is. The O-line not being together at this point in the season. I mean, yeah, a lot of that has been injury. Again, we lost Titus Howard in that game. I'm not exactly sure what's going on with him. It's like you can't really depend on him. He'll be there for a game or two, and then he's out for a game or two. I mean, we paid him hefty in the offseason. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, we need to get something solidified on that O-line. And it was good to see Juice Scruggs back in the fold. Uh... Hopefully, that'll help bring some uh, solidity and foundation to that O-line. But the offense as a whole, uh, where was the run game? Well, you know, the run game, the, the highest rusher was C.J. Stroud with 47 yards. And, 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 you, and, can't, and you, can't, you can't rely on that. And that's true. And, and also, to be honest, it's, it's fair to say, if you you know watching the game, C.J. could have rushed probably for another 40 yards. Just looking at the, the opportunities he's had, but he, he elected to throw the ball, which is what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to look downfield first, but if he don't see something open, then and he got that, that five to ten yard, you know, uh, stretch ahead of him, he should take off running. Because I think CJ has to realize he's very athletic, you know, more athletic than anybody else in that quarterback room. Uh, and he has the highest ability. That's for sure. He has the highest ability to, <laughs> to take off and, and get yards. And him just doing six carries, 47 yards, and a touchdown rushing, that, that right there goes show he can do it. You know, and I think uh, if he had ran the ball a little bit more, it would have made Jacksonville defense play a little different, and it probably would have opened up some more passing lanes for C.J. in that game as well. 
but I just I just want to throw this little one point out here. The two times that I've seen CJ take a big hit in in the games this year, both times when he was slow to get up. Mm-hmm. One time they actually brought Davis Mills out there. Thank God it was only he had to fill in for one play and then CJ was able to come back. Right. But just to what you were saying, he is the most athletic in the quarterback room on the team. On the team. Mm-hmm. But do I really want CJ Stroud running the risk of taking any more hits no. when I know what I have coming out of that locker room uh, behind him? No. No, you don't. Emphatically, uh, no. Another thing, though, I want the, the, the running game, I don't want to blame it all on the running backs because I feel like they didn't get enough carries. I mean, you look at it, Delvin Singletary, he had six carries for 18 yards. Damian Pierce had five carries for 14 yards. Together, they split, you know, 11 carries. And just looking at that, I, I don't think that um, they, they planned that well as far as, the, you know, the game plan. They should have they stayed on the ground a little bit more. I think they should have ran the ball at least about 10 more times with the running backs, uh, and they could have split those carries, and I think this game would have looked, looked different as well. But uh, that's neither here or there. Um, there was other things that happened, like um, Tank Dell, he, he had some, some big catches in that game. One of them, uh, they said it was a legal shift. Another one uh, uh, near the sideline, they said he was out of bounds, you know. But we go back and we see the picture clearly shows that both his feet was in bounds and he dragged that extra foot. So it, it was just, man, it was it was a lot of game. I mean, a lot of um, things in this game that just kind of took away from what the Texans was doing. But um, every game in the NFL, to me, so far, especially this year, has had bad officiating. And as a, a pro, a professional team, you have to figure out a way to just, you know, rise against what's going on and just kind of just play your best ball. Oh, really? You know, I, I, I want to go back and I want to point something out because when you read stats, to me, you got to look at the stats in, in, in its totality. You talked about 11 carries between two running backs on the team, mm-hmm. uh, Singletary and Pierce. Uh, Devin Singletary was averaging three yards a carry. Damon Pierce was averaging 2.8. So, as an offensive coordinator, you have to adjust to what's going on in the game. Right. I, the running game isn't working for whatever reason, whether it's the backs not getting, a, getting to the hole fast enough or they're not being a hole whatsoever, mm-hmm. but the passing game is working. So, some games, you can't have that 50-50 balance, you know, like everybody talk about a balanced offense. Sometimes you got to go to your passing attack. Sometimes you got to lean more to your running attack. Or, once, you know, you're just going to have to abandon some things and go off script. Mm -hmm. I think we did well because if you look at it, when when we went to the half, it it was a very close game. Mm -hmm. We come back out of the half, we take the lead, no matter how bad we were doing with the running attack at that particular point. But that's when... The chips all fell into place. For me, that's when we had the momentum. We had that big stop. Shout out to my boy uh, <clears throat> King for coming back and making a huge contribution with a goal line stance to set the. I mean, I was at the game. I saw the game, man. The, the the crowd was in it. It was lit. It was all H Town energy in the building. I mean, we had every reason to come out of the half and do exactly what we did, put up yeah. a quick touchdown. 
and then blow the doors open. Okay. But that didn't happen. And that's not C.J. Stroud's fault. That's not the running, running game fault. That was the team as a whole. You can blame it on the refs if you wanted to, but at the end of the day, we just didn't get the job done. And that's not going to be good going forward. So going forward, as a GM and as a head coach, you got to look at that game and say, where do we lose that game and what do we need to do in order to get better? Right. I'm going to tell you where we lost that game at. If you look at the one stat that nobody's talking about, how many sacks did we have against Jacksonville on Trevor Lawrence? Crickets, right? Zero. Yeah, you can pat me on the back. How many sacks Because I'm going to educate you people on something real, 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 real uh, swift right quick. This is what my boy don't do real quick. Who did the Texans just go out and acquire? They got, um, what was his name? Um... Dead Thank you. Dead Barnett. Thank you. Yes. The product from the Philadelphia from, Eagles. Right? From our first round pick. Why did we go? Is that the answer? And, and if you currently look at the depth chart of where he is on our depth chart, he's a third string guy. Why does it make sense to bring him in right now as the answer? For a non-existent. Is it safe to say that the pass rush was non-existent in that game? Well, he hasn't played yet, so we're going to see what he's going to no, do. No, no, no. I'm not talking about what he's – the potential that he may do. I'm saying what we did as a team oh, before what, he what even we came. did as a team. Well, what you're saying is correct. I mean, he ain't allowed me to get there yet. But overall, I think looking at this team, you just go to see – it goes to show in this game – uh, where our talent level is and where it can go, but also you kind of you gotta kind of look at D'Amico. Do you care to explain yourself? Yeah. I mean, looking at like we don't have a talented team across the board. If you look at Jacksonville team versus our team, you wouldn't you wouldn't expect our team to play like that. Did you have Houston winning six games so far this season? No, you did not. Did you? No, I did not. Okay, so your point. So we're playing above our talent level. Okay, so then you say we don't have any talent. We don't, Surely we have some talent. I didn't somewhere. say we didn't have no talent. But you want to rewind the script? I think right now, people, you're about to hear uh, a sound effect that's like here, a rewind. <laughs> I said we didn't have any talent. Now, I, I understand said. if we're talking about <laughs> the Carolina Panthers or something, but we are talking about the H-Town Texas. You know what I'm saying? And I feel like this team is too full of talent. For us to come out there and put a product on the field that produces zero sacks. Bruh. Looking at our pass rush outside of uh, Will Anderson, who he did have multiple times where he made some pressure on him, but he didn't get there. Pressure but and sacks exactly. are two different things. I said, I said, but he did not get there. But you look at Jonathan Gennard, he had, what, one QB hit, uh, not enough. Neville Hewitt, he didn't do anything. So... Like you said, yeah, the pass rush is the problem. And then uh, who was the other guy? We, we brought in somebody from uh, that played at Cincinnati, or he came from the University of Cincinnati like last week or something. He didn't even play this game. So, I wonder why. That's probably why he was cut. Probably why So we don't even need to talk about him. Look, man, at the end of the day, <laughs> at the end of the day, bro, this is goes to say that our biggest issue right now is pass rush. We need somebody that can speed rush off the edge and get to the quarterback. But does that mean we got to take a shot at Will Anderson Jr.? 
No, that does not mean. I mean, to me, his numbers don't even really reflect the great impact that he's had on this this ball club this season. He is a large part of that swarm <laughs> mentality. If you look at him, he's a high-energy player that's going out on every play. Yes, yeah, sometimes he over-pursues. I, I, I'll openly admit to that. But Will Anderson is out there trying to get it every down. And that's all you can ask from him right now. He's still a rookie. He's got to hone in on his skills. And that's going to come with time. I didn't expect for him to be at a top-performing level mm -hmm. uh, at 11 games in. Because if that's the case, then we got to go back and take shots at Jadavian Clowney, who was the biggest bust at defensive end so far that I know that, that wore a Houston Texans uniform. But that's, a, that's, like a, whole no other, that's a whole nother uh, 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 episode. But at the same time, <laughs> the original point was, what do we do to resolve the biggest issue of the team, which is lack of a pass rush? Now, granted, Jonathan Grenard could have stepped up uh, he was pretty much non-existent in that game. You want to talk about one quarterback hit out of a four-quarter four game, I, I think we need more from him. But on the upside, going into next week's game, we should have my boy Perryman back. And I think, you know, everybody should be excited about that because he also brings some, some toughness to that defense that we've been missing the last yeah. couple of weeks. Again, due to the league targeting my Houston Texans with some unnecessary BS, you know. Well, you want to talk about targeting. They did a lot of that, uh, that controversial flag that was on Steven Nelson on that one play where they had that big drive. Non-existent. Hey, non this, this was the worst officiating of all time, bro. Yeah. The NFL fans said. I ain't going to say it was the worst of all time, but it was the worst in a long they, time. They had that late holding call on uh, Steven Nelson as yeah, well. Yeah. Like, that that drive right there killed the you know I think it killed a lot of the momentum we had in that game. But um, like back to what you were saying, I think what do we do as far as getting to the quarterback? We're gonna have to do some uh some zone blitz. We're gonna be able to send some safeties downhill and try to get to the quarterback a little bit more. I I, I haven't seen Petrie really blitzing as much as he usually do. Oh That's really? Key reason to that. Everybody was saying this uh. You know, including myself, that uh, Petrie's style of play was phenomenal. But when you go to give one player credit, you also have to look across the board and see what his teammates allow him to be. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that I've been saying the last two episodes is the absence of Jimmy Ward and this guy that they brought into the, uh, the fold, DeAndre Houston Carson, who I still say... Uh, put this dude on a skateboard. I hope he break an ankle trying to get out of town because he's not as good. And when you take Jimmy Ward out the fold and replace him with DeAndre Houston Carter Carson, then you have to keep Jalen Petrie back in the secondary because that guy's instincts are just not as good as a Jimmy Ward. When Jimmy Ward's in the game and he's more instinctive, he's got more uh, experience under his belt, you can afford to cheat with Jalen Petrie and let him come up to the line and blitz. But when he's needed to help solidify a whole things down in that secondary, it takes away that. And that's what was taken away from some of the, the plays in which Jonathan Grenard was getting back there in the backfield because you had to account for that extra blitzer that was coming from the outside. But because we haven't done that, now you see we're putting up games where we don't have any sacks. But I'm looking forward to Jimmy Ward's return. 
I don't know if he's going to be back for the Denver game, but I do know that Perryman will be back. If we get those two players back, I have no doubt that, you know, you say zone blitz or whatever. D'Amico Ryans is a de defensive-minded head coach, and he's going to put a lot of things together when you can get your key players back. Yeah. Um, I ain't going to let you drag DeAndre Houston Carson like that, bro. Bro, he, he, he is drugged. He played he decent. He played decent last week against Jacksonville. I didn't see him give what? up no big plays. He didn't give up no big plays. He played decent. You want to go back and look at the first touchdown hey, he scored? Hey, you, you go back and rewind the film. I, I, I understand what he's saying, but overall, for what we was getting out of DeAndre Houston Carson, who was sitting on somebody's couch somewhere, he played pretty decent. And he needs to be back on that couch doing exactly what he well, was doing I can before name, he wore it. Look, I can name a couple players on this team that ain't going to sit back on somebody's couch. <laughs> I mean, but this guy here, definitely. You know, I'm just I'm just not a fan of this guy. No, I mean, no hate whatsoever. I just think he'll be a better fit in Carolina, not Houston. <laughs> you know, he, 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 his play kind of matches what they're doing in Carolina. Uh, but what we're trying to do oh, here he said, in Houston, he, set us, he, set he us doesn't belong. What? He set us up to lose. Man, I mean, I don't know if he's getting a little I mean, side yeah, look, check. Look, hey, hold up, hold up. If you're going to drag him, you definitely got to drag Tavier Thomas. No, I'm not going to drag Tavier Thomas. Let me tell you what? why I'm not going to drag Tavier Thomas. Uh, Tavier Thomas was out there trying. He was right there on every play. I've seen plays where this, this, this Houston Carson kid is it, it, just beat <laughs> by four, five yards at least. Man, you know, Tavier Thomas that, was, 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 was picked on. He was competing. He was being a dog. You know why they was picking on him? But let's go back to the <laughs> No, 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 no. We're not going to go there. Oh. I want to go somewhere else real quick before we have to switch topics. Because, you know, this is what you're known for. Trying to, trying to throw some stuff out there and then skate out the back door. People, <laughs> listen to me right now. I'm going to open that back door. On another episode, yeah, I'm gonna close where, 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 I'm this, gonna man, where this man here <laughs> was trying to put me and now my squad on blast, he was asking me, uh, "What about the contributions of Derek Stingley? Uh, uh, where does oh, he fit in well, into uh, the mix?" Uh, you don't want to, you don't want to bring that up. You know, do you know why Derek Stingley got the interception? People, if you've been paying attention, and you can leave your comments down here, because I'm gonna pose a question to all my listeners. He said that. Shaquille Griffin was the number one DB on the Houston Texans. That roster. was prior. That, that was prior. Derek to Stingley has come back, and guess who's no longer a member of the Houston Texans? Well, look. First off, what you're saying is is kind of mind you because mind you, who has this guy interceptions in consecutive weeks for the Houston Texans? Well, look. First off, I'm gonna go ahead and cover this. Stingley got the interception because of Petrie, a dog that you was talking about, because he put pressure. Yeah, Petrie, Petrie was making a play. He he knocked the receiver. Did Petrie help him catch hey, the ball? How many times have you seen a DB get a, a pass thrown his help, way and they drop it? But and he then the first like, thing everybody <laughs> wants to say is that's why he played defense because he can't catch. But not only does my boy play defense, he catches the ball and gives it back to his team. He oh, gives CJ really, another opportunity to come so, up. So we we just gonna act like Petrie didn't clear the way for that interception. Okay, let's do this. We we gonna we gonna act like it really wasn't a, a pass interference on on that interception. Oh he he cleared the way for him so he could get the ball. Uh, 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 oh my god, they were playing a so zone. You, so you didn't see that they were playing a zone. It was not man to man coverage. He was playing a zone, and his instinctive play 
Derek Stingley, he was about to play the guy going deep, but due to his instincts, he cut it off and came back in and played shallow. And guess what was waiting there? Gift wrap for Christmas. A pick. But, now, but who, boxed it up? who boxed it up? How many, Jay, how, many, how many games? Jalen Peake. How many games did Shaquille Griffin play for the Texans? He played six starts. How many interceptions does he have? No okay, scratch your head, no, but scratch your brains, do what you gotta do, but let's keep it, let's look, keep it moving. First off, Shaquille Griffin played outstanding football for the Texans in the time that Stingley was out. It was to us that he was the leading tackler on the defense. Sting, he I never said he wasn't a good gap filler. He came in and he filled the gap. He, he, he filled but the gap better than Tommy and Tommy. say that he is a better DB than Derek Stingley, I don't think so. He's the, better than Tavier Thomas. The, the, the offenses He's were better. attacking Look. him every game. Every I'm game. Gonna say this. There are some games they don't even throw the ball on that side where Derek Stingley is because they know what's there. Yeah. And then, oh, I don't even want to hurt no feelings right now. first drive, I don't even want to hurt no feelings right now. But uh, here's what I do want to throw this out here. People, share your comments, share your thoughts. Should the Texans have gotten rid of Shaquille Griffin? And also, there's this ongoing comparison between Derek Stingley and Sauce Gardner. Sauce Gardner got a lot of hype last year, but this year, haven't really heard so much. But maybe, I, you know, my ear just ain't to the right street. So, people, leave your comments. Let me know. How do you feel Derek Stingley versus Sauce Gardner? Let's keep it rolling. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm in here. We're going to talk about the Broncos and Texans now. <laughs> okay. Since we got uh, this guy, bro. I'll tell you, I'll tell you. Look, so Broncos. Hate uh, me as a hobby. <laughs> Broncos and Texans, man. Houston favored by three points. Houston at home. Both teams six and five. Uh, they're both in the hunt for the playoffs. With Houston taking that L to Jacksonville, that 24-21 loss. Uh, and the Colts winning last week against uh, Tampa Bay. That allowed the Colts to move ahead of the Texans to be second in the division and also in um, the seventh spot of the playoffs. So this game is very important for the Texans, just as important as last game was uh, for them fighting for the number one spot in the AFC South. Um, the Texans really need this game, man. Um, I hope they win by a whole lot more than three points, though. I tell you that much. And we get back on the road. We can't allow Russell Wilson to do what he would like to do as far as freely moving around the pocket and getting the ball to uh, his receivers at ease like Courtney Sutton. We, we got to be able to shut down some of these guys. Um, honestly, you look at what Denver has been doing the, the past, what, three games or so? Um, them boys been on, on a win streak, man. Yeah, they, they've actually uh, absolutely came back and turned their season around. From where they started to where they're at now, I think they kind of, you know, had time to gel, uh, not only with the new coaching staff, but together as a team. Uh, Russell Wilson is being Russell Wilson. But the thing of it is, you, you hit the nail right on the head. This is a must-win game, people, for the Texans if we want to talk about possibly going to the playoffs this year. Uh, you've already kind of laid out the playoff picture and where we stand on that. Like last week where we, we were pretty much a lock on a wild card. This week we're on the outside looking in. And some things can change. Um, if you go back and look at the Jaguars' upcoming schedule, and I, and I bring them up because they're the, the division leaders, 
Their mm-hmm. next game is against the Bengals, which I can clearly see them losing that game potentially, uh, depending on if Joe Cool is back. Joe Cool ain't coming back. He out for the season. Okay, so if Joe Cool is out, then uh, I, I have to get an edge to the Jaguars and that because they, they're playing in Jacksonville. But then they go on the road to face the Browns. Then they have to play the Ravens. Then they have to go mm-hmm. into Tampa Bay. And then the last two games of the season, I'll give that to them. Uh, they, you know, they got the Panthers and then they got the Titans. Mm-hmm. So I could easily see them going over the course of this this next six game stretch. They could actually end up three and three or four and two. So if they lose two games and we win out, then we would we would automatically uh, go in as the division champs. You know, you know, I had looked at that after we had lost that game uh, against Jacksonville. And I was looking, I was like, hmm, Cincinnati. Um, I don't really see Jacksonville losing this game, but Cincinnati played a good game against the Steelers last week, so you never know what you're going to get. But considering this game is in Jacksonville, I probably hand it to Jacksonville to get the win. But that Browns game, that's one game that you you really, you know, you look at, you look at Cleveland, it's the defense that really makes the difference for them. It's not so much about the quarterback play, but I feel their defense could – really put a stop to uh, what Trevor Lawrence is doing, especially the way their offense is ran, especially seeing them twice. And we know they like to do a lot of dink and dunk, you know, a lot of little quick things. But I think the Cleveland Browns, they have the defense and the pass rush, I would say mostly, that could get to Trevor Lawrence and kind of shut down what they, they be doing as far as their operations. Ravens, I would say that that should be a loss. You know, uh, the way Lamar Jackson been playing and that defense been flying around, that's two, really, that's three games where they play top 10 NFL defenses, you know? So, Jacksonville, they kind of got their hands full. And then you got a Buccaneers team that they'll be facing that is kind of right on the edge, that's pretty solid. Quarterback play is not always there, but that defense, you never know what you're going to get out of them. And Tampa has been very, very competitive. So, I could see them just upsetting the Jags, you know, along the way. Panthers, they should beat them. Tennessee, that should be another win for them as well. But you never know. A lot of teams like to spoil, you know, other teams' uh, seasons, especially when it's not important to them. They ain't got nothing to lose. So, like you said, four, four and two is very possible for Jacksonville, or three and three. Um, but I like our chances at still at least getting to that seventh spot into, you know, sliding into the playoffs, even if we don't win a division and possibly playing them for a third time. I agree, and, and that's why I said what I said. But then, um, just to just go back and put some put the spotlight back on the Houston versus uh, Broncos game. Uh, we got a lot of players that's questionable this upcoming game. Some big names like Noah Brown, Dalton Schultz, Sheldon Rankins, George Fant, even Laramie Tunsil, and Tank Dell. Now, the key name that's on this injury report that I just noticed is. Titus Howard has been placed on injured reserve yes. as of today. Titus and Howard so, out for the season. So, so if he's out, then we're going to need Juice Scruggs to do just like he did last week against the Jags. I was going to step up in a big way. He made I was some say, huge we didn't, we didn't really talk about that. But, but um, we also got Jimmy Ward on this list. Uh, it's questionable. So to me, I get a little hyped and pumped hoping that he comes back. Because along, like like I said earlier, with him back on the field and with uh, Perryman back on the field, we become sort of like the Cleveland Browns, where our defense is stopped 
And when we're stout at the defensive end, that buys time for CJ and the rest of the offense to put up the points we need to put up mm. and, 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 and squeak away with games, you know. And if that's the style we got to play to get out of here for the rest of the season, I'm okay with that as long as we got our key starters back on the defensive side of the ball. So my prediction for us against uh, Denver is no, – no, Wait, wait, wait. I want to say this. Um, I like the way Drew Shrugs came in and, and replaced um, Titus, Howard. Titus Howard. Like, I didn't I didn't really see a big difference, you know, as far as the change between the two. I feel like Drew Scruggs played a little bit better than him in that position, especially since Scruggs is really a center. So he's already used to playing inside, uh, you know, inside guard position or center position. So he looked better right there. But my, my biggest concern about this man is, like you said earlier, is Titus Howard is not dependable. We waited, what, five or six weeks for Titus Howard to hit the field? Mm-hmm. And here we go already, uh, like, what, week 11, week 12, and he's out for the season once again. And he's, what, like, top 15 paid tackle in the league or something like that? And he got a guy that's playing offensive tackle in uh, George Fant, who's been playing solid right there, and he couldn't replace him, you know, in the lineup. So they slid him to to guard. So now you, you kind of got to ask yourself, what are we going to do about that in the offseason? I know that's an offseason question, but that's a lot of money a money tied up into a player that we really had high expectations of and we don't know what to do with, you know? Yeah, I really didn't want to go there, uh, this segment about Titus Howard, because he, he's starting to have that uh, same impact that I felt back in the day about uh, the Houston Rockets and Kelvin Cato. Uh, he had a good season up there in Portland, and then all of a sudden he came to us. We gave him a big contract, and he robbed us. <laughs> you know, we got jacked, and it wasn't even in a pandemic when people had on masks. This man, Titus Howard, has robbed the Texans, but I'm going to let that go. But two more key things that I want to say, and, and it's going to impact how that, that, that offensive line is dealt with or addressed going forward. Uh, both of the Greens, Kendrick Green, Kenyon Green, mm-hmm. are both on IR. So that's a center and a guard that's out. Now you got Titus Howard out. Uh, what are we going to do with this makeshift offensive, offensive line. line? We have got to get some things solidified with that. And then one last point I want to make about the Texans. And I know he's getting a bad rep for this, but Amendola with two M's. Yes, he missed a game winning or a potential game tying uh, field goal that would have sent us into overtime. But was, that, but was that really his fault? I mean, let's be real, people. How many NFL kickers hey, can you say? Hold let's on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. How many NFL kickers can you honestly say is a guarantee from 58 yards? You asking a lot from an NFL kick at that point. And to be honest with you, how he missed it. The way that he missed it, as a true fan of the game, I can't be mad at him. Because the man went out there and he tried. I could see if it was far to the right or far to the left. He put everything. You got to look at this little guy. He put everything in his body. I almost saw some of his testosterone shoot out of his pores. Let's pause real quick. Crossbar, people. I mean, it was it was spot on. Like they say, game of football is a game of inches, and sometimes you're gonna come up short. 
just like the Jacksonville Jaguars did right before the half when they tried to score a touchdown before going into that. They came up short. So really, that field goal that he missed right there was not what lost us the game. And I just want to say that. No, because this is and what the lost only us reason, the game. The only this reason I make that point is, people, because guess who's no longer wearing the red, white, and blue? Danny Amendola. They, they, they brought him back. No, they got they, they they hired another guy though. Yeah, they they hired out some other people. They tried him out, and then they brought him back. The other guys didn't make it, so he's gonna be kicking for us again. H town, we in trouble. Like I said, let's rewind it back. Fourth quarter, fourth and ten. I think what they should have did is put the ball back in C.J. Stroud's hands and let him either win the game or lose the game. Before you say anything. It's, it's 58 yards. I'm not mad at Amendola about the kick. It was a good kick. But what you missed to mention is that this guy has never, never hit a yard, a 50-yard field goal or more ever in his career. First what? of all, I didn't miss anything. Yeah, we need to put the miss where the miss belongs. The miss was on Amendola, <laughs> who missed not only that kick, but another kick earlier. But the only point I was trying to make is it's tough in the NFL, and I was taking up not only for Amendola, but a lot of the kickers in the league. A 58-yarder is a stretch. Well, I'm going to be honest. Most kickers can't hit a 58-yarder. I'm going to be honest. I did not expect him to make the kick. Nobody did. I didn't expect him to make the one that he missed. It was like, what, 40 yards? Listen. Me and my homeboy were sitting back watching the game. Trey, this for you, man. We was both like, yeah, he finna go out here and miss this kick. Bro, because... You look at the probability based over, over his career, you knew he was going to probably miss this kick. Hell, I was surprised he made the kick against, uh, who was that, Tampa? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I'll give you that. Like, he is not the most dependable kicker in the world, which is why he was not on anybody's starting roster at the beginning why, of the season. That is why but he I'm should just be back saying, at home sitting I'm on just, his couch. I mean, you know, if there was a better option out there, I would totally agree with you. But right now, all the teams have kind of swooped up all the best kickers, and we just dealing with the bottom of the barrel, basically, to get us through some games. Hopefully, Kymie Fairbairn will come back this year, but he's been placed on IR, and, you know, they're, they're saying that uh, when it comes to him, uh, the <laughs> word is, how do they put it? Significant progress is being made. But... Who knows what that means? So There's no time. That just means that he probably wouldn't return until near the end of the season, probably end of December. Yeah, probably somewhere around week 14 or so. But I don't know. But um, back on the uh, he would be a welcome sight back to the fall. Yeah, we, we would definitely love to have him back right now. Okay, so what's your prediction? You know, given all that we just said about, you know, the team, the state of the team, injuries, uh, uh, we all know that Sean Payton, this is his time of the season. He's done it uh, for many, many years in New Orleans. Now he's trying to do that in Denver, and he's coming to face us. What are we like? What are we looking like? Looking at what the Broncos have done uh, over the course of the, the last five games, they haven't lost a game. I don't see Denver beating the Texans. Um, I think they'll come in a little too high, you know what I'm saying, uh, Above thinking that, that they're better than the Texans, I think this is this is a, a game that that they mess up. 
You know, what, what you want to call it, like, like a choke game or whatever you want to say. Um, this is a game the Texans got to have, man. Like like I said, it, it's too important. Um, I feel like it's more riding on, on us right now at this point of the season than it is Denver. Denver is, like, on a good stretch and all. But this is the game the Texans got to have, <clears throat> especially because this is the game that national TV is forcing everybody to watch. For the first time in a long time, everybody will have their eyes on the Texans, and it will be in Houston. So this this right here is the game the Texans really need to have. Got to make plays in. Um, hopefully, we get Jimmy Ward back. Um, Noah Brown don't know what he's looking you know what he's looking like, but he did practice. He had light practice. So we we moving in the right direction. Um, now, C.J. Stroud, he had a little thigh injury. You know, that's kind of concerning to me because how many times he got sacked last week. Um, but he's not on the injury report. No, he's on the injury report. Now, I don't see him on this injury report that I'm looking at. But that's fine. He, 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 I know he's going to play, so I'm not even worried about that. Yeah, he's going to play. Uh, so, what's your pick? You say we win just because it's a must-win game? Uh, no, I won't say that we win just because it's a must-win game. But I do think we pull this one out. I do, I do hope that this is a game where our pass rush can really redeem themselves. Um, and hopefully, you know, with someone like Russell Wilson, him being a, a quarterback that likes to scramble and get out the pocket a lot, I could see us at least sacking him twice in this game. Um, I don't know if he make a lot of bad decisions just looking at how he's been playing and how he picked up this season. Right now, Russell Wilson has thrown 20 TDs, four interceptions, and 2,100 yards, you know. Uh, he, he's playing pretty good. So, overall, I think as long as we can kind of contain what Russell Wilson is doing, I think we win this game. And with some of the defensive players we're getting back, like Denzel Perriman and things like that, to kind of coordinate the linebacker core in that front line, I like our chances. Uh, my prediction in this game is going to be probably about 24-17 Texans. Mm, I like that. I like that. But here's what I'm going to say. My prediction on this game, I'm not going to go into this long, drawn-out thing. I think oh, the Texans really, are going to win <laughs> just because we need to win. And the hunger and the hurt and disappointment. I think I think we got a reality check last week with that loss in Jacksonville because there were too many ways that we could have won that game <laughs> aside from uh, those bogus calls made by the refs. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in, in a certain uh, aspect of it, we looked in the mirror and we saw where, yeah, the refs cheated us a, a little bit, but there were a lot of things we cheated ourselves. We should have been ahead in that game irregardless of them and the bogus calls. So we fix those things, we come back out, and we handle our business here at home. Uh, I'm not so much worried about Russell Wilson and what he brings to the table, what he doesn't bring to the table. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying this is a, a statement game where the Texans start to finally put what we've all been expecting to see from them, and that's complimentary football on both sides. You're going to see good football from the offense, and you're going to see good football from the defense. And the, re the reason why I say it's going to be a good complimentary game, you'll see a more balanced attack, is because the Broncos have one of the worst rushing defenses in the league. If we can't run against them, People, we're not gonna run all season. You heard it here first. So the Texans <laughs> will win. Well, a lot of that starts with 
us making sure that both running backs get enough carries again. Uh, I think another thing that really kind of changed, you know, a big twist in, in last game, though, before I move, I want to say before I move on, is that uh, Damian Pierce came into that role, you know, to take some of those carries away from Singletary. So that kind of hurt Singletary game, you know, and hopefully we kind of lean more towards Singletary in this game as far as getting the touches and just, you know, minimize what uh, Damian Pierce is doing. And, 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 and I agree with that, but then for some reason with what you just said, I couldn't help but feel a certain type of way. Because what? you said that Damian Pierce was taking away carries from Singletary. But excuse me if I'm wrong, people. Am I the only one scratching my head and saying, ain't that backwards? Wasn't Pierce supposed to be the starter and Singletary was taking carries from him? Like, what's really going on in that running back room? That's a whole other topic for another day. Yeah, that's definitely another Yeah, That's a definitely another topic. So, um, we already made our picks on the Texans and, and the Broncos. But let's go through uh, week 13 slide and make a couple picks on the rest of the NFL. Seattle and Dallas. How you feeling? Dallas at home? Listen. Cowboys Nation is in an uproar right now. They licking their lips. They, they they doing like Shaq, barbecue chicken. Uh, <laughs> it don't matter who the Cowboys play. They, they, they actually playing some really good football as of late, and I just don't see them uh, 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 squandering this opportunity. I think the Cowboys will be the Saints. I mean, uh, Seahawks. Seahawks. Yeah, I'm going to uh, go with the barbecue brisket. Dallas get the win against Seattle, but for the first time in a long time, they actually play somebody that's competitive. Um... Another good matchup. We got Detroit Lions and New Orleans Saints. Saints fighting for their playoff lives. Um, who do you like in that one? Oh, that's a head scratcher right there. But uh, like I said, it's, it's it's another one of those games where people we're getting into uh, playoff football right now. Uh, the Detroit Lions, the shock of the league, as far as I'm concerned, in my opinion, I, I think they continue to roll with a, a full head of steam, and that's they, they're they're playing that way whether they're home. Or away, and I think the, the Lions pull out of that one uh, pretty easily. I'm riding with the Lions too, but did you know that for the first time in a long time, the Lions are actually in first place in their division? That's what I'm saying. And they're, headed they're, to the playoffs. They shocked me. Like, I'm Especially talking about from where they were last bro, year. They probably haven't been in this position uh, since before you was even thought of. <laughs> like, <laughs> we, we talking about some ancient people, you know? Yeah. That, that, that wasn't even necessary. <laughs> you could have just said who you thought was going to win. But I'm going to let you make it, man. You're right. The, the, the point he's trying to make is when have we ever known the Detroit Lions to really be this competitive? And it, it's, it's actually refreshing because I like to see when teams have been down for so long, sort of like sort of like that same vibe you get with the Cleveland Browns. They've been down for so long that to see them win is actually a good thing. And, and, they, and they put together, they turn that thing around. I think it's the new coaching staff, but what, whatever reason is, I think they continue their winning ways and they beat the New Orleans Saints this week. Okay, okay. Now, speaking of the Cleveland Browns, they will be away uh, in Los Angeles playing the Rams. Uh, the Rams is kind of in that position too where they kind of, they're kind of trying to fight for competitive uh, playoff play, but the Browns, you know, you know what position they in. Do you think they can go into LA and get the dub? Here's the thing. Uh, again, we we talked about quarterback play. Uh, Deshaun Watson, my guy, out for the season, and the Browns they lean heavily on their defense. 
The problem is with the Los Angeles Rams, you just never know which team is going to show up. Are you going to face that team that has that wide open offense or are you going to face that team that just kind of took their tail and just out there just to get, get a paycheck? Mm-hmm. So in that game, because they are in Los Angeles and again, the time of the year, I think it's going to be a really competitive game that comes down to the field goal kickers. That's possible. Especially because, you, like you said, you don't really know what you're going to get out of Matt Stafford in this game. But if it's a, a good Matt Stafford, um, I don't see field goals. I'm going to ride with the Rams just because I like, his, I like his chances versus Cleveland chances, even though, you know, we know the situation. And which team has more to lose in that, con- that contest? The, the Cleveland Browns are sitting at 7-4. The Los Angeles Rams are sitting at 5-6. and six. If they win that game, they are back at 500. Mm, I could see them kind of, you know, uh, uh, checking themselves and having, you know, a, a, a real talk with themselves in that locker room and say, hey, guys, are we who we think we are? Mm-hmm. And they find a way to win uh, and, and, and bring that season back to 500. So I, I'm actually going to ride, even though I don't want to, I'm going to ride with the Rams in that one. Okay. Uh, now, this is actually the game of the week in my book. San Francisco and Philadelphia. Philadelphia at home, 10-1. San Francisco, 8-3. San Francisco is actually favored in this game by three points after Philly has beat uh, the Bills. And then they just took out another good team in, in the Chiefs. So do you really like San Francisco's chance to go into Philly and defeat the Philadelphia Eagles? Let me tell you something. I, and, and, and I hope that this comes across the right way. I think when it comes to Jalen Hurts, he is now wearing that same cape that people used to put on Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. Uh, they felt like they were doing good, but this is the week Brady's going to lose. This is the week Brady's going to lose. And every week he come out and find a way to win. I think the same thing is going to apply to Jalen Hurts. That man has figured it out. He just finds ways to win. Uh, San Francisco is close. But they're not there all the way yet. I'm not a Brock Purdy, you know, you know, supporter just like that. So I'm gonna put it in the hands of the, of the quarterback play. Can Jalen Hurts outplay Brock Purdy? And at this particular point in 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 in, in, in their careers, I'm gonna say yes. Jalen Hurts will outperform Brock Purdy and come away with the W. See, I'm gonna ride with 49ers on this one. Ooh, because he wants to be different. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I picked the 49ers uh, before you know everything really started started going. I picked the 49ers to go to the Super Bowl. I like what the 49ers have on defense and offense. I feel like Purdy does just enough to win. Um, although, yeah, Jalen Hurts is the better quarterback between the two. You just there's no answer for what Christian McCaffrey does for the 49ers. And I don't think the Eagles have anything on that defensive t- on that defense within the front seven that can slow down the transformer that he is. What? Let me tell you something. Coming out of Philly. Hey, hey, Philly, when you come down here to H-Town, make sure you go to the right address. Yes, we're on the same podcast, but we are not the same people. Throw the tomatoes at his house. (laughs) What you are saying is Christian McCaffrey alone can beat that entire Philadelphia Eagles defense. Have you lost him? Is this man out of his mind or what? There's no way 
They have too much pride in Philly to let one player be the reason that they lose an NFL football game. So you can pick your 49ers. I'm going to pick the Eagles, and we'll just see how the game plays out Sunday. You heard it here first, though, people. One of us needs medication. Let's go, Niners. <laughs> Cincy and Jacksonville, we already kind of talked about that. Uh, Jacksonville heavily favored by eight points, but I feel like Cincinnati could still possibly, you hey, know. Let's, hey, let's, let, let's leave that one alone, man. We've already talked about that. How are we going to bypass that Kansas City and Green Bay game? That's not a game, bro. What? Kansas City easily wins that easily. In Green Bay? In Green Bay. Okay. We we ain't talking about the quarterback. We talking about Jordan Love versus. No, I just want your pick. You 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 and I already told me you, you rolling with KC. Right, but now uh, night game, man. one other game that's gonna be of top interest to us people is uh, a game that's in our division. We got the Indianapolis Colts and the Tennessee Titans. Indianapolis is six and five. Tennessee is four and seven. This is probably not a game you know that's really worth a whole lot of conversation, which is probably why my, my co-host uh, skipped over this game. But I feel <laughs> like it's worth mentioning due to the fact that we are in playoff season football right now. So um, if the Titans could manage to win this game, that gives us a little bit more cushion, and that's why I feel like we should you know put our predictions out on that. Um, I'm going to take the Colts in that one. I, I hate to say it, but I think the Colts is definitely going to win the game just based on how they've been playing. Titans haven't been playing bad football, uh, but, I mean, the team that they recently played, it, they beat Carolina, and it's not really saying a lot right now at this point of the season. Uh, I, I hate to you know mention that because the Texans did lose to them, but, uh, yeah, Colts all the way, bro. All right, bet. And I and I and I kind of concur. I, I I want the Titans to win, but I kind of think the Colts are gonna uh, find a way to uh, come out with a W. Yeah. So uh, moving on from that, we got to talk about our QB one, CJ Stroud. With the second pick in the 2023 NFL Draft, the Houston Texans select CJ Stroud, quarterback. Ohio. And we just want to do like a little. Simple, you know, biography uh, over CJ. Give our, you know, opinion on what kind of guy he is and how he was raised and the things that he uh, had to overcome and, you know, and forgiveness as far as everything that's been going on in his uh, life so far to till we're here right now on November 29th. So, um, but see, now while we embark upon this, I just want to be the first to say that CJ's story, for as much as it is, you know, something similar to other uh, stories of overcoming obstacles, his is kind of unique. And uh, we're going to talk about that uh, as we as we move through this. But I just want to say that hopefully after hearing what we say about CJ, uh, some of our listeners come away from this having a different perspective on CJ and understanding why these types of stories, when you're at the NFL uh, combine, uh, make help help kind of give you a sense of character of the football player that you're dealing with. Because I'm a firm believer that if someone has been overcoming obstacles their entire life, major obstacles at that, it only is a testament to the type of leader that you would have on your football program. Mm -hmm. So. C.J. Stroud, 
uh, a young kid from Rancho Cucamonga, California. Rancho! You know, a lot of people think about Rancho Cucamonga, they, they think about Friday, and they think about big houses, rich people, and things like that. But come to find out, you know, there was a time that uh, CJ, he, you know, he did shine in his light. You know, the lights were bright, you know, but the light really got dim when his father went to prison. Yeah, his father's currently serving a sentence of 38 years, mm -hmm. and it was for being a repeat offender. But the inter interesting thing about that is I actually heard C.J. Stroud kind of speak on that in an interview, and when he told the story of how his father going to jail actually hurt him at a young age, that hurt and how he's turned it into <coughs> determination and uh, put like a fire in his belly to, to take his frustrations out on that situation on the football field, man, it, it is so inspiring. Yeah, uh, so CJ was 13 years old when his, when his dad went to jail. Mm -hmm. So from up to 13 until now, it's, it's, it's been what, almost um, 10, 11 years, you know, since CJ seen his father outside of the prison. And CJ being the youngest of four children, it, it was a lot on him because he he was the one kid that got to spend the least amount of time with his daddy. And after his dad was the breadwinner for the family, CJ and his family were standing in a small apartment above a storage facility. So he went from living in a nice home to staying in a small apartment above a storage facility. And it was almost to a point where him and his family was homeless. And you know, they they wasn't able to just live normal anymore. His his new normal was so different. And I think a lot of people can kind of relate, you know, on uh, their, their parents going to jail or, or something like that of the sort. But I think it's so different when you actually looked up to your father and your father was in your life and then he was just taken away from you, you know, like that. So um, a lot of things that he went through, like his, his parents... You know, his mom wasn't able to afford, you know, him getting new contact lenses and just new clothes, new shoes. You know, a lot of people thought one thing was CJ, but they didn't know that CJ was, was just broke. He was a broke kid really just out there making it. And that right there, all those things culminated into what CJ Stroud is today. And I think a lot of that is why CJ is so successful in football. And when we talk about success, we're talking about him being successful in high school, breaking records, to going to college and being a two-time Heisman finalist and breaking more records, you know, uh, that's the CJ that we, we all see on TV. That's the CJ that we all know. But we didn't know about that CJ that had to experience all the heartbreak prior as a young kid coming into being an adult. No, I totally agree. And one of the comments that was made by someone who was interviewing him uh, they they had they, they posed a question, right? Uh, CJ, at that point, he had a choice when his father went away to let it motivate him and, and, and be the best or he was going to succumb to it and become kind of a, a kid of statistics. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and quietly and humbly, and, and, and the thing that's most impressive about him, God-fearingly, he chose to let it motivate him. And that's why people can sit back and say things like... Uh, they, they're amazed at how resilient he is and, and that he's one of the most amazing human beings that uh, uh, they've ever met. Because CJ is just doing everything the right way. 
But it all goes back to when he was a young kid. I didn't even know this about him. And it wasn't until we decided to do this little piece on him that I discovered. Did you know that at nine years old, <laughs> C.J. Stroud was throwing the ball 50 yards downfield as a nine-year-old? Just wild. I mean, the arm strength has always been there. Uh, the accuracy is another thing that's just totally off the charts. I've seen everyone break this kid down from your Kurt Warners to you name it. Mm -hmm. All They're making videos that they're trying to get a million views on YouTube so they can get a little side check off of this guy's arm strength skills. His accuracy is is leap years above where he is in the in, in the in the league and that's a rookie so you know um cj is i mean he has what it takes to be a natural born winner yeah and that's against all odds uh and like i said a lot of that culminated into being into cj being what he is and you know it, it kind of reminds me it's not the same story but I think every great player has that true chip on their shoulder that pushes them forward. Do you think all of the things that happened in his life uh, is what made him be the humble, the uh, persevering kind of football player he is today? Or do you think it's just that was going to be CJ destiny either way? No, I don't think that was going to be it either way. But again, I don't want to play gypsy or anything like that or tablet card reader when it comes to a situation like that because you never know. All I know is he is where he is. But I will say this. This is no offense to anybody, but I'm a real life person, right? Everybody knows when we were in school, you had that guy, he was known as the bully. Then you also had this guy in your school where he just looked like this little timid kid that if you said boo too loud, he might jump out of his skin. For some reason, I don't know why, but C.J. Stroud comes across to me like the latter of the two. You say boo too loud, he's just going to <laughs> jump out of his skin. But a lot of those same kids were saved when they went through athletic programs. And he had the talent to be at one of the star positions on the football team. So when they found out that he could win football games for him, it's like the rest of the team will kind of rally around this kind of guy and take up for him and have his back. I think that was one of the things that kind of led to him being where he is right now. And the fact that he was smart and the fact that he went to known winning Programs. Ohio State is known for being winners on the collegiate level. So when those guys circle around him and he's able to do what he needs to do, and no matter who approaches him from a defensive standpoint, saying they're going to do this and they're going to do that, and his teammates stand up now, nah, you ain't going to touch him. That allowed him to get that confidence to go out there and, and show how he can beat you. Because he ain't going to beat you. Like, he's not that guy that you're going to throw hands with and he's going to walk away with the win. What? So what he's going to do is, if he's allowed the time to display his skill set of playing football, he's going to kill you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what makes him a, a, a winner. And then you bring that to the Texans, he was able to get that team's buy-in so early. That's why CJ is thriving in this program right now. 
because they surround him with guys who have his back. I finally, in all the years that Laramie Tunsil has been in Houston Texans, saw him like after every major throw that C.J. made in that Jacksonville game, who was the first person in his face after each play to say, man, good job, great job, baby. We got that. You did that. That was Larry Tunsil on field. And they kept showing that for some reason. Uh, 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 the cameras kept cutting a shot to that. And I was just like blown away by the fact that, is that Larry Tunsil? This quiet guy who they I'm gonna tell you, kind of say is the best offensive lineman in the league. Never heard him really be vocal. But now he's come out of his shell. And it's all thanks to CJ. Let me touch on Tunsil. Uh, I think CJ Stroud was the first quarterback that Tunsil seen and that he knew that he truly had potential. You know, you can you could tell just by the interviews. You hell, you could tell by how much he played this season. Cause I think a lot of times, like prior to last couple seasons, Tunsil would easily find a way to be sitting on the bench at home or wherever he was at, uh rehabbing or something. But since he knows CJ with CJ in the game, we always got a chance. And Tunsil don't mind going out there and landing out there on the line for him. Like how I describe CJ dog. He's a straight dog. He you know what I'm saying? And I think that's just the difference. That CJ, he just knew CJ had the potential. Uh, he knew CJ um, give them an opportunity to win every game versus Davis Mills or whoever came uh, before that, uh, Tyrod Taylor and all the other names. CJ was that guy as soon as he walked through the door. Well, you know, I, 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 and I'm looking because before I say something, I don't want to say the same, uh, the, the wrong thing. But you're telling me that uh, C.J. Stroud was the first quarterback, basically, who Laramie Tunsil saw a future with, with the Texans, right? Well, besides uh, Deshaun Watson. Because I was going to say, when Deshaun Watson was there, uh, uh, you, nobody would, was saying anything other than that the Texans had found a franchise quarterback. And he was winning. So I don't think he's the first quarterback that he's seen. And then if you think about the way that Deshaun left, that was unforeseen. So Tunsil couldn't predict, couldn't have predicted that. I don't think it's that he's the first quarterback that that Laramie Tunsil uh, was bought into as saying this is a guy worth blocking for. Mm -hmm. I just think he sees the difference between a Deshaun Watson, who is very talented, and the difference between C.J. Stroud, who is very talented, is. The hope and the belief in a C.J. Stroud is more sustainable because of his character. It could be, it could be character, but I think overall, what all this falls on to is D'Amico Ryan's creating that culture to get all the players to buy in. And these guys, they just you know, I know a lot. Of, I know a lot them. of NFL teams who have a great culture, and that is not doing anything to help their quarterback play. No, I'm not. I'm not saying it's helping the quarterback play. I'm just saying these players are buying in and they don't mind going out there and playing. We can, but, but we why got, is that? That is not D'Amico Ryan's. It's the that, culture. That is a testament straight that we need to give to C.J. Stroud and his character. It's a whole new vibe, man. D'Amico came in with that energy that he brought from San Fran and, and just changed the whole vibe around the building. And that's something that we needed, especially since these last past three years. Man, we've been in the rut. So D'Amico coming in the building. He brought some new coaches in. We got some new players, man. It's just a whole new vibe that's in that building. It feels great to be there. Uh, like I say, 
the last thing I said, which should have probably been first about him, the God fearing in him, because in any interview you hear him speak, the first thing he does is give credit to God. Thank you, Lord. And when God is in the mix, you can't lose. But keep it on, people. This ain't no religious channel. You know what I'm saying? We still sports talk. Don't change the station on us, man. We ain't going to ask for no donations unless you just want to send something, you know. But leave it in your comments. Let's go. With the 69th pick in the 2023 NFL Draft, the Houston Texans select Nathaniel Dell, wide receiver out of Houston. Tank Dell. We want to talk about Tank Dell next because uh, Tank Dell is another special player that we have on this Texans team. Uh, another special rookie that we brought in. And um, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. We can kind of we begin this segment how we ended the last one. Who was the person that went to the coaching staff and all of the uh, upper leadership in the Houston Texans organization and said, go get this guy? <clears throat> and then, like, he, mm, I think it was, like, after he got drafted, you know, I saw him congrats. And then I was like, tell him, come get me. <laughs> I told him, tell him, come get me and stuff like that. He, and then he was like, I got you. Trust me. And then, um, CJ. It was CJ. Because Tank Dell told him, come get me. Exactly. And you're not going to tell somebody to come get you if you don't believe in what that person can do. It's facts. That's before he even stepped one foot in the league. It's facts. But look, let's look at, let's look at what Tank Dell did, though. You know, uh, he was a, a young player coming from Daytona Beach, Florida. Uh, he Initially, he was committed to a Florida International University, but he ended up attending Alabama A&M. Alabama <clears throat> so... At Alabama A&M, you know, that's a lower tier school. He only had 12 receptions, 364 yards before he transferred to community college. Now, you know, a lot of players get asked, why would you come from uh, being at Alabama A&M or uh, having the opportunity to go to FIU and come to a community college? Because he knew that where he was going was going to take him in the right direction. Going to Independence Community College, this guy had 52 receptions, 766 yards, and eight touchdowns, which helped propel his college career to the University of Houston in 2020. So um, throughout that time, every year that you've seen him at the University of Houston, he only got better year by year. Even though in his first year, uh, I think it was what COVID 2020, so he only had 29 receptions for 20, 428, three touchdowns, he was still the leading receiver. Now, you think about that. That's over eight games. The next year, he has 90 receptions for 1,300 yards and 12 TDs. And then he returned to be the number one receiver once again, and he goes for another 1,300 yards and 17 TDs. Now, my question to a lot of people is, how do you overlook all that Tank Dell has done? How does Tank Dell end up in the third round of the NFL draft when every year, he just doubled what he, you know, produced. I can tell you his size. Uh, he was he was considered to be a small guy, and they was they were questioning his durability. And he's not coming from one of those top tier colleges. Mm -hmm. He was coming from the University of Houston, which has put out some so far decent players. You got to remember, uh -huh. as much as I hate to say this. Uh, <clears throat> the one year that the U of H did have a Heisman Trophy winner, Andre Ware, where is he now? 
Thank you. What? He came into the league and he just did not live up to so, be a Heisman winning. So uh, you just gonna uh, say where is he now? And, yeah, and I'm not, done with that. You're not yeah. a mission of organization. This, he got drafted by. No, this is what I'm saying. This segment ain't about him, so we're not gonna go into that. All I'm saying is his numbers in the league speak for itself. He was a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. How many Super Bowls does he have under his belt? Okay, let's keep it moving. Don't now, down, don't down talk, Andre. Where to you? You no, mentioned no, no, no. he was I a Detroit Lion. I, I asked okay. the question. I asked the question. Those same Detroit Lions who we just gave a shout out a little earlier in this exact episode. If they, if those team, if those players after, over there could put something together, sixty years. Listen, everybody knows about the Detroit Lions. Okay. They've had some tremendous players over there. Oh, it, really, dude? <laughs> why Andre Ware uh, didn't last long. You got to remember, people go over there, star players go over there, and quit at the peak of their careers, i.e. Barry Sanders, i.e. Megatron. Both of these players had plenty of uh, career left, and they just said, I don't know what they serving in the, in, the, in the lunchroom over there. Them people say, look here, man, you can keep your little old steaks, you can keep your fajitas, I'm out. Okay, but the point we're trying to make, we're talking about Tank Dale. He, you said you didn't know why he went all the way to the third round. It was because of his size, uh, durability issues, and the school that he went to. But here's the thing: you stated some uh, stats about him receiving. Yeah, we know he yeah, plays. Yeah. We know he plays the wide receiver position. But if you look at how the Texans are actually utilizing Tank Dale. We have created, and this is Bobby Slower. This is this is this is one of the things he doesn't get credit for. Anytime I kick somebody in the teeth, I'm gonna pat them on the back when they do something good. He has taken Tank Dell and he has used <laughs> utilized him to be helping the deficiency of the running game. But now, if I go back and look at his numbers when he was in college. Those same eight games in 2020, those same 14 games in 2021, those same games in 2022, he had a total of five rushing attempts in three years. And he produced, his longest rushing attempt was for five yards. He had zero touchdowns. He was averaging 2.8 yards a carry on five rushing attempts. And guess what? Who knew is what I'm saying based off of them numbers that Tank Dell would be such a threat in the running game. And like I said, give credit to Bobby Sloat because he found that gym and he's utilizing all of his strengths. And Tank Dell has been a, a, a force both rushing and receiving. Tank Dell has been a force for years and he'll be a force for years to come. Um, I don't, like I said, I still don't understand why he was overlooked. He was Dave Campbell's best wide receiver. He was ranked number eight in the nation in total touchdowns at 18. I seen him dog and burn all kind of corners from power five to group of five. So when you talk about size, 165, 5'10", this boy is a dog. He plays bigger than what he's listed, and he runs faster than what, it, what the numbers say on the page. In 2022, his best game was against SMU. He had 180 yards. Okay, that's your point. You telling me he's okay. a dog? I mean, you know, he he put up some decent numbers. Don't get me wrong, but what Tank Dell's doing in the NFL, his college numbers would not tell you that he would be 
this good. Well, look, you can say all that, but if I recall when we was sitting at our desk in that office, I kept trying to tell you, I said, Tank Dell, text me, look at Tank Dell. He's going to be a special player. And you didn't want to agree with me. And now look at you. You're on the Tank Dell wagon. No, it's not that. Here's what it is. You are a U of H alumni and a U of H supporter. I'm not in the to, to just U of H specifically like that. I'm college across the board. So when you take this one player and you put his numbers up against the top receivers in each one of those years, mm -hmm. Tank Dell is not one, two, or three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But guess what? He's number one out of the rookie receivers so far. So let's just go ahead and do a little comparison. We got Puka Nakua, we got Jordan Addison, and Tank Dell. Nakua played 11 games. He was a fifth-round pick. Jordan Addison, he played 12 games. I don't know what round he was drafted in. Uh, and you got Tank Dell out of the third round, 10 games. 11, 12, and 10. Nakua, he got 73 receptions. Addison, 54. Dell got 47. Now, of course, Nakua, he, he got 924 yards receiving because he got more touches. Addison, he got 686 uh, I mean, receiving yards, but he only got 54 receptions. Now, Dell, Dell is doing the most with less. 47 receptions, 709 yards, 15.1 yards per catch. He's the best out of all of them. And then he also, he's tied with Jordan Addison for seven, uh, seven receiving touchdowns. So, Nakua got three, Addison got seven, and Dell got seven. So, he's tied for seven. For the best. Like I said, he's doing the most with less. And just those numbers right there, just go ahead and that breaks down what kind of player he is from his stature, from doing the most with less to being out there on the field, from the speed that they said he run a 4-4-9, doing the most with less. But yet, every game I see Dell being a corner or two, getting open, making big plays, that's what Tank Dell is. And if you want to have... The, the, the conclusion on Tank Dell, he's an amazing player that can do the most with less. I'll give you, you know, uh, some, some support on the, all of that of what you just said. I know now that I'm woke again. Uh, Tank Dell is, is a very uh, talented player. His route running is, is, is what really separates the men from the boys when it comes to the NFL. As a receiver, can I count on you to get open? And that's what he's able to do. Uh, uh, he has an uncanny ability to just break down uh, any DB. But <clears throat> I'm not going to give it all to Tank Dell because if you don't, you can be. And I'll and I'll just say this, and then I'm done. Look at Devontae Adams. You can be one of the most talented receivers in the league, but if you don't have a quarterback that can get you the ball, guess what? All of that goes for naught. And so I just want to say that some of Tank Dell's success has to be attributed to C.J. Stroud. Everything yeah. is coming back to C.J. Yeah, I mean, like... Oh, and another fun field fact, just so you know, so the next time you go to talking about that man, you're going to put some respect on that man's name. Jordan Addison was drafted number 23 in the first round. Just just thought I'd put that out there. Who for thought? Uh-huh. Oh, like really? <laughs> Tank Dell, third round, the baby. Yes. He does the most with less. Yes. And, but I said that to say 
how that speaks to Tank Dell living up to the first rounder. Mm-hmm. And he was drafted way in the third. So, people, don't hang your heads when your babies don't get drafted to the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round in the NFL. If your baby can do their thing, it's gonna it's gonna come out in the wash. Yeah, and I think a lot of that goes to say, uh, CJ Stroud, people, when I'm looking at the rankings as far as receiving yards, CJ Stroud is the only quarterback in the NFL that has two receivers in the top 25 in receiving yards in the NFL. That's Tank Dell at 709 yards receiving, and that's Nico Collins at 800 yards receiving. And when you look at that company, those are two receivers that's doing the most with less. Because if I recall, Nico Collins was a late-round draft pick as well, and a lot of us didn't really expect Nico to do what he's doing today. I know he had the intangibles to, to be that, you know what I'm saying? But to see what CJ is doing with these two and allowing these two to really flourish right now in the NFL, it's amazing. And like like we said, that all just goes back to what kind of player CJ Stroud is for the Houston Texans. He's selfless. He believes in distributing the ball equally. Uh, he doesn't show any favoritism. And it, it's just the he's bought into that concept that uh, we, we win together as a team. No one person is a star. We're a star unit. And, 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 and that's what makes the anticipation and the hopes of where this Houston Texans organization uh, uh, going so exciting. Yeah. So um, the last topic that we want to touch on is college football, football rankings, playoffs uh, as well, because right now people is the most important time of college football when your favorite team has a possibility of getting into the four team playoff. And those teams, you know, have to go through the uh, the conference playoff as well, or I won't say conference playoff, but they have to go to a conference championship as well. And I know we all got high hopes, you know, expecting that our team is going to win this conference championship because that conference championship is really going to make the difference on whether my team will advance or whether my team may not advance. And um, looking at some of the matchups, the one matchup I was really concerned about the most was Florida State and Louisville. Um, Florida State, they lost their starting quarterback for the season uh, two weeks ago against, uh, what was it, North Alabama. And ever since he's been gone, the offense hasn't flourished well at all. They haven't moved the ball the way they used to. Uh, they, they really struggled against everybody they've been playing the last two weeks. And I would say this, rather they win or lose this game, I mean, unless their backup quarterback just come out and play amazing, I really would not like to see Florida State in that college football playoff. What? Um, Hater alert. alert. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the thing about the playoff, it's supposed to be the four best teams in college football. And I think a lot of times those people that, you know, judge on who should be in and who should be out, they, they sometimes put a team in there that doesn't belong. And I think right now, with Florida State losing their starting quarterback, they shouldn't be in there. And I, and I really do pick Louisville to beat Florida State in this game. So I'm, I'm, happy, I'm hoping that that happens to take, take place 
so we can really get a real uh, college football playoff, especially for the last time of the four playoff team. Well, I'm uh, so seven. glad that, and I know we're talking about college football, but I'm so glad the New England Patriots didn't think like that when Drew Bledsoe got hurt and Tom Brady had to step up and uh, 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 take the reins. It's, <laughs> it, it, when you have a successful program, what you have is depth. And it's always that same philosophy, the next man up. So just because their starting quarterback went down, that means that they don't deserve to go to the college championship. That, that to me, that's, 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 that's really hypocritical. Let's look at the rankings, though, people. The top four teams in college football right now, Georgia number one, Michigan number two, Washington number three, Florida State number four. And guess what their records are? All of them have the same records. 12 and 0. So just because our starting quarterback went down, <clears throat> all of the other players on that on that roster, from running backs to wide receivers to O-line, D-line, linebackers, safety, corners, we don't deserve to go play because one guy got hurt. I see what you're saying, but I just don't like I don't like their chances, you know. I don't think they really have a chance in this game against Louisville with, with without Jordan Travis being there. Oh, we're talking really? about a, a team that really looked dominant when he was there. Well, I'll say this. Let's let that game play. Let's see how it plays out. Because Louisville is no slouch now. They're ranked number 14. They're 10-2. and two. So, if Florida State is somehow able to win that game without any controversial calls by referees, because we all know how that feels. We're not going back there. Sensitive subject right now. But if they are somehow able to win that game, Without their starting quarterback, would you change your mind then? Uh, if they they win the game convincingly, I would. But I just I don't see it happening. But like you said, we'll see what happens. See how everything shakes up and takes place as far as that. But I'm gonna say this: if Florida State loses this game, it opens up the opportunity for UT to possibly jump into the college football playoff. And I know all the UT fans around the state of Texas and the nation are licking their chops at their first opportunity into getting into the college football playoff. Uh, as long as it's been around, they have yet to get in. And this might be the first time that they actually get into it. If they can be Oklahoma State <laughs> and Florida State losers. Because Ohio State lost uh, last week against Michigan. And if Michigan went out in the Conference championship, I see Texas beating Oklahoma State and sliding into that playoff, and they get the ride out of the Big Twelve into the sunset. And 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 you know, I, this is a question that's been floating around out there in the college football air. Uh, a lot of people feel like the rankings this week was a little unfair to Ohio State. A lot of people feel like should they have fallen all the way to number six? Uh, what do you think on that? I, I would say that, you know, Ohio State, they shouldn't have fallen to uh, number six because they lost to number two ranked Michigan. And uh, and it was a very close game. It wasn't like they got blown out. So, worst case scenario, I think they should be at five. But I think the only thing that, that's really, like, you know, controversial between the two is that at number five, you got Oregon, who lost to an undefeated Washington team. And those two teams got to play each other. So... Um, with them having that rematch, it allows Ohio State to jump them again. And it's still possible because Ohio State did this last year 
where they had lost to Michigan. They didn't play in the uh, conference uh, championship. And then they somehow found their way back into the playoff. And that's still very possible because we don't know what Michigan is going to do. We don't know if um, Washington win and Florida State loses if they would rather put Ohio State ahead of Texas. I know only reason I say Texas will probably get in is because they beat Alabama. You know, and you, you look at what the SEC has on their schedule, what Alabama has on their schedule per se. I mean, Texas will be the right fit. But Texas has a has a. It's not going to just be a cakewalk in because they're going to play uh, Oklahoma, um, Oklahoma State, right? And per this ranking, Oklahoma State is what eighteen, right? Number eighteen, uh, and for some reason, it's showing thirteen on another one. But um, if they can somehow beat Oklahoma State, who is nine and three. And I'm trying to see where that game is going to be played at. It's going to be played in, in Dallas uh, at in, Jerry, in, in Jerry World. So they're on the big stage. Yeah. Uh, but Texas is, is listed as the visiting team, even though they're playing in Texas. Go figure. Uh, <laughs> I think Texas, they've only lost one game, and their, their one loss is to Oklahoma. Right. And that was a close game. Uh, it was only a four-point competition. So, again, being a Texas product, me, myself, I'm a little bipartisan on this. Uh, would I like to see the Longhorns uh, back in, in in the big dance? Absolutely. Absolutely. You would like to see them? I, I think they'll get there. I, I'm not cheering for them. I, I really hope they lose and, and then they uh, cry. Later alert. They, they can try their way to the SEC as they lead the Big 12, and Oklahoma State can beat UT and stay in the Big 12, and we got some kind of bragging rights right there. Uh, but overall, I will say this. If Texas can slow down Ollie Gordon a second, they definitely got a shot. But, man, if you ever look at him, put him on your radar because – I would love to see Ollie Gordon in a Houston Texans uniform because that boy is something special. All right. You heard it here first, people. But I just want to say this here. It sounds like, and this is just me, you know, on the outside looking in, it sounds like he ain't going to be happy until the U of H Cougars are playing for the, you know, the national championship. But, I mean, you know, who hates on the Texas line? I mean, as we should. Who I mean, does that? Houston is the juggernaut, and we just have the wrong coach in place. But – you know, that I'll say that for later. Yeah, please. Because it's, it's, it's about to be a lot of fireworks this weekend. And I don't even want to be a part of that conversation. I really don't care. <laughs> oh, the biggest game of them all is Oregon and Washington. That rematch is going to be something special. 11-1 Oregon, 12-0 Washington. It's going to be a lot of speed on the field, a lot of good quarterback play. I can't tell you who's going to be the winner. But it's gonna damn sure be a close one. This could definitely be. I mean, it's it, it, it's it's building up to be one of the biggest upset weekends in college football, and and there are a lot of games that affect those teams sitting directly atop the the, the mountain. So mm -hmm. I can't wait to see it, me myself. Yep. Can't wrap it up before we talk about Georgia and Alabama. Right on. Georgia undefeated, beat everybody that has come across their their uh their plate. 
anybody that you put in front of them, Georgia has just stumped a mud hole in them. And I don't know if Alabama would be that same team that, you know, they were in the past. I don't know if Georgia will really move forward, but I, I just somehow just somehow I just know that Kirby Smart is not going to be his former boss this go around. Well, I don't know because oh, Alabama has to go on the road and into a hostile environment and, and, and somehow pull off the biggest upset uh, this season is what it would be because right. that's the number one ranked team. Uh, but if there's any team that can do it. I would say that it is Alabama. Yeah, it'll have to be Alabama. Because, I mean, I'll be honest, like, every team that I thought had a chance against Georgia, though, uh, they easily just dismantled that team. Like, you look at the uh, last five games, they played Georgia Tech 31-23. That was probably the closest one in, in a while, you know, besides Mizzou uh, back on November 4th. But looking at Ole Miss, 52-17, Tennessee 38-10, Florida 43-20. Man, I, I just don't know what I'm going to get out of this game. But besides that Oregon and Washington game, Alabama and Georgia is definitely going to be a good showdown. It's going to be a, a good defensive clash. And, man, keep your TV on. Don't close your eyes. Absolutely keep your TV on. And speaking of having a TV on, there's one thing that I did see uh, pertaining to this matchup. That's really got me in a space where I say if anybody can do it, it's Alabama. I saw, and this is something I've never seen from this guy, the incomparable, the Bill Belichick of college football, <laughs> Nick Saban, come on live TV and in an interview. And his exact words was as if he was making a plea to his program and his athletes that the the key to winning this game is your passion for the game. It's like he was speaking directly, even though he was answering a question from an interviewer or a reporter, he was speaking directly to that locker room. He said, it's going to be passion that decides this game. So basically, you can throw all your stats out the window at that point. When Nick Saban stands up and says, I want your heart on that field, I just want to see what kind of results it's going to produce. Right. And with that being said, between the two teams, who would you pick? Uh, like you alluded to earlier, the coach for Georgia, he's, 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 a, he's a byproduct of who? Nick Saban. So is it safe to say, and this is no disrespect uh, to that man in any safe or form or fashion, but um, when you've learned from the master, Trust me, the master always keeps a trick or two up his sleeve. And if it's one opponent that that master is going to know the best, it's going to be someone who came up under his tutelage. So I think that given that and given the success that Nick Saban has had throughout his illustrious career, I think that he, if anybody, like I said, if anybody can do it, it's Alabama. And I'm not ready to pick at this point yet. You know, like, because Bill Belichick has gotten to the point where you can pick games against Bill Belichick now. Mm -hmm. Nick Saban is not that. He's still that dominant force on, on, in, in, in college football. So, I'm, I'm, I'm actually going, I'm picking against Georgia, and I'm saying roll time. I like to see it. I like to see it. 
uh, especially for a team that has yet to lose. Mm-hmm. And you look at Alabama, they already have they one loss against UT. They already know how to travel and get to the other side and fight that adversity. I'm rolling with Alabama as well. Okay, so let me just ask you this one little question. I know you're ready to wrap this up. But let's say Alabama does pull off the upset. Mm -hmm. Where does that put Texas at then as far as the rankings? Do do Georgia fall down below them? Or does Texas elevate to the top four? Like, how does that that shake out? You know, that's a good question. I think everybody in the country really would like to know. Um... But if Texas wins and Alabama wins, I only think that it helps Texas because Texas beat Alabama. So that would have to push UT into the tournament. But sometimes these guys can be a little funny and they could possibly say that Alabama beat a better team, you know, this week. And we feel like Alabama is better positioned to be in a tournament. So it's hard to really answer. I don't know how they figure it out. I don't know if it's votes or if it's by computer. But I would put UT into the tournament because they already be out. Just by looking at the rankings real quick, uh, as it plays out, we've already stated who the top four are. Five is Oregon. Six is Ohio State. Seven is Texas. Eight is Alabama. We said if... Texas and Alabama wins, which means that Georgia has lost. Mm-hmm. I don't see Texas and Alabama leapfrogging two, three, and four. Uh, you know, the other the other undefeated teams at the right. top. So, all of them would move up one. So, Michigan would be number one, Washington two, Florida State three, given the fact that they win. Mm-hmm. Let's say Oregon wins and Ohio State wins. They would have to go up one spot. And that would mean that Georgia would have to fall somewhere between in the, in the realm of where the 11 and 1 teams are. They can't be higher than Alabama because Alabama just beat them. Right. So that would put them down to number 9. And if everybody else slides up from 1 through 8, one number, then Texas and Alabama would still be out of the top four. That would be real crazy. Mm-hmm. And it would call a lot of rockets. Well, let's just see how it plays out. That's why we watch the game. Let's see it. Well, people, um, thank you for listening to another episode of the HSC. Me and Charles appreciate y'all for listening in once again. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment on all platforms that you listen to this podcast on because we would really appreciate it. Stingley over South Gardner, dog. Oh, really, dude? Bars in every single